Greetings, friends. It's a brand new day, and we hope that we can brighten it even more with our time together in our podcast. It's June 24th. My name is David McAdam, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. It's good to have you with us as we travel through the pages of the Bible over the course of this year. We are putting on some more miles as we span the history of Israel's kings and prophets in the Old Testament and the history of the early church in the New Testament. And standing at the center of it all is the one to whom all this testifies, our mighty God and Redeemer, the only king of whom it can be said his kingdom will never be superseded, the only prophet whose word will ever be said to be final, and the only priest whose atoning sacrifice can be said to be all-sufficient. Today we will see how the servant of Elisha needs to have his eyes opened. And this is our prayer today as we start out on our journey. Lord, please open our eyes that we may see. May we recognize that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Let us see that a minority with you on our side is greater than any majority in this world. Let us be more aware of your presence and power, and also that you have appointed heavenly agents, ministering spirits, sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So let's start out on our Bible reading journey today with 2 Kings chapter 6, and we'll read through to chapter 7. We have seen that the hope of Israel depends upon the maintenance of the ministry of God's word. The kings and the people are failing, but the word of God never fails, and it is not bound. Elisha is now supervising a school of prophets. So let's begin with 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, 
Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard these words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Chapter 7 But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, 
Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, When they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left there will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste and the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, about this time to-morrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of Second Kings. We have already learned that Elisha was concerned for the welfare of the future generation. We should be also. Elisha wanted to be sure that people were equipped with the word of God. He had been meeting with a company of prophets in Second Kings chapter 4, verse 38, and it eventually turned into a school of prophets. There were schools for prophets in Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and in Ramah. 
As Elijah trained Elisha, now Elisha trains the next generation. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul trained Timothy and commands him to train faithful, available, and teachable believers. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Elisha's students are eager to study, but they need a larger assembly hall for their meetings. They propose to build a larger facility and ask permission to retrieve timber from the banks of the Jordan. The students beg their teacher to come with them. It is a good thing he did. Elisha did a lot of teaching outside the classroom. What happened next is as instructive for us as it was for the school of the prophets. The students need more than Elisha's permission for the project. They need his accompanying presence. Jesus not only gives us the command to gather new building material for his church by making disciples, he gives us his accompanying presence. He says, I will go with you even to the ends of the earth. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. There were no Home Depots or do-it-yourself hardware stores nearby in Elisha's day, and these students did not have their own toolboxes. They had to cut down trees near the River Jordan to get lumber. One student borrowed an axe to fell trees by the river. The borrowed axe head accidentally flew off the handle and fell into the muddy Jordan. The lost axe head was a big problem to the student and a setback to the building program. Iron tools were precious and scarce in Israel. The axe head sunk to the bottom of the muddy river and would be impossible to recover by natural means. The student would be obligated under God's law to pay for the replacement of the lost axe head. Exodus chapter 22 verse 14 reads, If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while its owner is not with it, he shall make full restitution. If its owner is with it, he shall not make restitution. If it is hired, it came for its hire. It is also written in the law that this kind of accident was not uncommon and that it could have been worse. A man could have been killed and the manslayer would have to flee to the nearest city of refuge. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 4 and 5 it is written, Now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously, as when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend, so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. The student appeals for Elisha's counsel. Elisha asks the student to point out the place where the iron axe head fell into the muddy Jordan. Elisha cuts down a stick of wood and throws it to the spot in the river where the axe head fell. The axe head miraculously floats to the surface, and the man is able to reach out and take it. There are several lessons for application here. First, whatever we have naturally has essentially been borrowed. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Our gifts, talents, and opportunities in life have been given to us by God. In John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. The student lost the axe head when he was doing the Lord's work. Doing God's work involves risk. We should not only give careful attention to our work, but also the way we go about getting the job done. For example, it is possible that you are doing the Lord's work, that He is using you as His instrument, 
but you accidentally lose your patience or lose control of your anger, you let the axe head fly off the handle. We have seen that David and Moses did not have sufficient self-watch care when their impatience or anger got the better of them. An expositional constant in the Bible's typology is that the Jordan River speaks of the life of the natural man. Crossing the Jordan and baptism in the Jordan are figures of reckoning on one's death to self in Christ. Coming to the Jordan is a type of identifying with Christ, reckoning oneself crucified and dead in Christ and coming alive in His resurrection life. In this case, it is not a man that is immersed in or crosses the Jordan. It is a tool, an instrument that is potentially useful in the work of God. In the case of the axe head, it was useful in helping to advance God's purpose of equipping the ministers of the Word in Elisha's school. We have been given natural talents and ministry tools. They are not essentially ours. They are borrowed from the Lord. Our talents and natural capacities as well as our God-given ministries must go to the cross. Originally, we thought that we had a handle on them, but they need to be directed by the risen Lord. The axe head belongs to the Lord and the stick typifying the cross, becomes the means of recovering our talents and ministries in the power of Christ's resurrection life. The good news is that God's man has provided a means of recovery. You need that axe head, but ultimately it needs to be recovered in the power of resurrection life. We see it as being in God's hands and not ours, even though we are responsible for lifting it out. The kings of Israel and Judah at this point in history do not have access to the mind of God apart from the prophets. The king of Aram, that is Syria, is at war with Israel. The prophet Elisha warns the king of Israel of the strategy of the enemy. The king of Aram is distraught that the king of Israel is being given information about his presence and plans. He suspects one of his officers must be a traitor and is disclosing secrets to the king of Israel. One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. 2 Kings 6, verse 12 The king of Aram, that is Syria, sets out to capture Elisha who is in Dothan. Soon the city where Elisha is staying is surrounded by a large army of Aramean soldiers with horses and chariots. Gehazi sees them and panics, asking Elisha, What shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16 Elisha prayed that his servant Gehazi's eyes be opened to see this spiritual reality. God answers Elisha's prayer, and Gehazi sees that the hills are full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul prays for the servants of the Lord at Ephesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18. We need to have our eyes opened to spiritual truth so we can walk in faith. Elisha prays to the Lord and asks Him to strike the enemy with blindness. Elisha leads the blinded men to Samaria and delivers them to the king of Israel. The king of Israel spares them, offering them food and drink and sending them back to Aram, temporarily stopping their attacks. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, 
launches a siege against Samaria, surrounding the city and cutting off all access to outside food and supplies. Things got so desperate that the city's inhabitants were resorting to cannibalism. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 29, the king puts on sackcloth and ashes, but blames Elisha, threatening to kill him immediately. Elisha, knowing the heart of the king of Israel, expects his arrival and tells the elders that the king has the heart of a murderer. The prophet tells the king that in twenty-four hours there will be a great reversal. The enemy will be defeated, food will become readily available, and the economy will be restored. An officer, on whose arm the king is leaning, speaks out in unbelief and is told by Elisha that he will see this victorious turnaround but will not live to enjoy it. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 2 Four lepers, because of their disease, were not allowed access into the city. They considered their options. If they go into the city, they will die. If they stay at the gate, they will die. So they resolved to go to the enemy's camp and surrender to them. If the enemy kills them, they will die. But if they are spared, they will live, and it is their only hope. They set out to the enemy's camp, and when they get there, they discover that the enemy has suddenly fled, leaving all their supplies and wealth behind. The Lord had confounded the enemy, causing the Arameans to flee as they heard the sound of approaching chariots, giving them the impression that the Hittites and Egyptian armies had been hired by the king of Israel to attack them. They abandoned their silver, gold, clothing, livestock, and food supplies. The lepers help themselves to the food and drink and store away treasures. Soon they are convicted of their greed. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 9 The lepers return to Samaria and tell the good news to the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers shout the good news to the city's inhabitants. The king, however, believes the report is a plot contrived by the enemy who knows they are starving and has baited the camp with food to trap them. Two chariots are sent out to find out what has happened. They discover that the lepers were telling the truth and that the Arameans fled, leaving the road strewn with clothing and equipment. So the words of Elisha's prophecy come true. The incredulous officer, upon whose arm the king leaned the previous day, was trampled to death at the gate as the city's inhabitants came out to claim the enemy's spoil. Then the royal officer answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 19-20 through 20. Let's move on in our tour to the New Testament reading, from the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 36 to chapter 16, verse 15. You will remember that we have just read about Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey and then the Jerusalem council when they reported the great work of God among the Gentiles. So we pick up our story in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. 
Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16 Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. And this is the end of today's portion of our New Testament reading from the book of Acts. Let's take a moment to recap and reflect. Barnabas, who has a reputation as the son of encouragement, has a heart to follow up on those who had come to faith in Christ during their previous missionary journey. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Acts 15, verse 36. Returning to ensure that new believers are firmly established in their faith is a vital aspect of disciple-making. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we read, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. However, it is at this point that Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. Barnabas is wanting to take his relative, John Mark, with them on the journey. Paul remembered the difficulties they encountered on their first missionary trip when Mark quit the team early and returned to Jerusalem in Acts 13, verse 13. Perhaps Paul thought that this revealed a lingering character flaw that would jeopardize the mission. Barnabas, true to his reputation as the son of encouragement, wants to give Mark a second chance. Paul disagrees, but later we'll find that Barnabas's consistent faith in Mark paid off. At the end of his life, 
Paul will speak fondly of John Mark as being a profitable asset to his ministry. In the Apostle Paul's last epistle written from prison, Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. As a result of this division, two missionary teams are deployed and the work multiplies. Paul takes Silas with him to strengthen the churches in Syria and Cilicia, while Barnabas takes John Mark with him to follow up on new believers in Cyprus. On this second missionary journey, Paul and Silas pick up a new team member. After visiting Derby, they come to Lystra and meet a young disciple who has a good reputation among the believers there. Paul decides to take Timothy on board as a team member, but has him circumcised first because of the Jews that were in the area who all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek and an unbeliever. We learn about God's mysterious guidance in chapter 16. Paul sets out to the north, but is somehow kept from preaching the gospel there. Have you ever been in situations where your plans are just not working out like the way you originally hoped? You may have heard the expression, when God closes the door, he opens another. As doors close for the ministry in Asia Minor, Paul, Silas, and Timothy find themselves in Troas, where Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging them to come over and help them. Paul concludes that God is calling them to take the gospel to Europe. When they sail from Troas, they arrive in Neapolis. There is no man from Macedonia to greet them, but Paul is undeterred. He travels with his team on to Philippi, where there is not a man from Macedonia, but a ladies' prayer meeting by the river, waiting to receive them. As Paul preaches the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit opens the heart of a businesswoman named Lydia, a trader in purple from Thyatira. She believes the gospel and is baptized. The Lord who opened Lydia's heart to the gospel causes her to also open her home for the missionary team to use as their headquarters in Philippi. Let's move on to our next stop on today's Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms. And with me in the studio is one of my grandsons, Isaac McAdam. And Isaac will be reading Psalm 142, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Thank you, Isaac. The psalmist makes his heart cry to be delivered from his personal prison. This should encourage us to pour out our hearts before the Lord. The psalmist considers his options. Who can he turn to? His enemies lay traps for him, and he has no one who truly cares for his soul. Therefore, he puts his trust in the Lord. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The psalmist has confidence that the goodness of the Lord will be vindicated in the eyes of the righteous through answered prayer for deliverance. 
Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, where we read today from Proverbs chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him. Those who are discerning what is real and eternal will make it a priority to concentrate on what is most important in life. Fools lack this kind of focus. They are unable to fix their eyes on anything particularly significant. It is a bitter disappointment to have a child who lives aimlessly. Let's conclude our journey in prayer. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts. We thank you for every good gift. We want all that we may have lost, whether through accident or neglect, to be recovered by your grace. Help us to yield ourselves to the reality of the cross, reckoning on our personal co-crucifixion, co-burial, co-resurrection, and co-ascension with Christ. We pray that everything you have given us for good use be fully yielded to the wisdom and power of the risen life of Christ our Lord. In his name we ask it. Amen. So until next time, I pray that what we have taken in of the Word of God will dwell in you richly. And if you have any questions or comments and you'd like to contact us, you can write an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like a written transcript of our commentary, you can freely subscribe to our daily email at newlife.org. And there at our website, you can learn more about New Life Community Church and its many ministries. God bless you in the grip of His grace.